Welcome back. back. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Brendan Hansen. I'm Jake Friedman. And this is the podcast about decisions, decisions in games. And today we are talking about Renature. We're going to do a deep dive of this Kramer and Kiesling joint design published by Capstone Games. And I think it's going to be a really fun conversation. Brendan, how are you doing? Jake, I'm doing really well. I'm very excited to get back into a deep dive episode. And I'm even more excited because Renature is a really unique game and one that sort of feels like it's covering new space and also blends genres in interesting ways. We have a little bit of area control, some tile laying. There's just a lot of stuff going on, and I think it's going to be a really rich discussion. It's such a weird game, um, and I'm really excited to talk about what makes it weird and what makes it great. I'm also doing well. It does feel like a really long time since we've done a deep dive episode, so it feels good to get back on track. But So if, if you're one of our listeners who is here mainly for the deep dive. Sorry, it has been a little bit of a hiatus what with the holiday break and you know some kind of special number episodes of 100 and 101. But now we're on to 102, so who cares about any of that until like 150 or something? Exactly. And for now, Renature all day, all day. Jake, can you go first? Yeah, let's get right into it. I think one of my things this year is just trying to be like, really honest with myself about the games that I'm playing. Do I like them? And I've, I've always tried to be honest on this show, but I think sometimes like any of us, I have the tendency to get pushed or pulled by the discourse in the discord <laughs> or, you know, the larger trends in the hobby of like, Oh, but like everybody else loves this game. So it must be awesome. And I'm missing something. Mm. And I've been playing the heck out of Renature, and I just love it it's so much fun it's not perfect it has some wonky edges i think it's a strange game in a lot of ways but at the end of the day i'm having as much fun playing renature as i have you know really anything that we've covered on this podcast i'm gonna give it a 9.6 out of 10 whoa (laughs) 9.6 okay y'all i think that also makes it definitely within the top five games that you've rated at least on the show ever is that right? Yeah. yeah. I think it has to be. And that's why I was like second guessing myself, you know, when some of those games are like classics, you know, that yeah. nobody would disagree with, like the Castles of Burgundy, Azul, stuff like that. So like, does is this game a classic like those? I don't know. You know, I don't know that it will hit for as many people because of the weirdness of it as some of those games that are like such sure bets. But I just love it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, here's mine. And then we can really get into the meat of this discussion in this episode. Or get into the bark of it. Renature is a little bit like a wild animal. Beautiful to admire, but sometimes you don't want to get a little too close because it can bite back and can be a little bit dangerous. I find Renature absolutely charming in the way that it blends multiple genres while making something that feels entirely unique, incredibly admirable. I have an immense amount of fun with the decisions in this game, especially thanks to the cloud system and the tie rule and the neutral colors, all of which I think are brilliant design decisions. There's, like Jake said, a few small edges that maybe hold this game back from being something that I could hold up as perfect. But at the end of the day, Renature is a game that I absolutely also adore. So I'm giving this game a nine out of 10. Dang, that's so high. That's like a really high rated game from us. So take that 
for what you will, which is just two people's opinions. Uh, and, and then we'll get more into our deep dive discussion and talk about the decisions in this game in just a bit. But before we do that, Brendan, let's talk about the game background. Yeah, so you mentioned that this game was published by Capstone, which it was, I think, in the United States or North America, maybe. And it came out in 2020, but it's originally from what I could tell, Deep Print Games, who I think have a partnership with Capstone and Pegasus Spieler. Um, so they've done other games like Juicy Fruits and Sky Mines and Savannah Park, another uh, Wolfgang Kramer and Michael Kiesling game that Jake's previously talked about a little bit on the show. So this game's been out for three years now, which is kind of interesting. I feel like it's maybe been building a little bit of a groundswell uh, as people kind of get tuned into how exciting this game can be. But I wanted to take a moment, Jake, and kind of talk through games that Michael Kiesling and Wolfgang Kramer have designed together and games that they've designed separately and talk through their ludography some, just because it's usually helpful um, to do that. So... And I get them confused. Yesterday, when I was going through the notes, I tend to get these two designers confused. So I figured for the listeners, it might be helpful to lay them out too. So Michael Kiesling, you probably know for his solo designs, like Azul in 2017, or Heaven and Ale, which he designed with Andreas Schmidt that came out in 2017. In researching, uh, some people might be aware of a game called Vikings that came out in 2007 from Z-Man. That's a Michael Kiesling solo design. Jake, that, that's one I'm pretty interested in. And it had a lot of awesome reviews. It's on Yukata. Oh, one that I think we should keep an eye on in the future. Yeah, I, I definitely want to. I think Heaven and Ale is like up there for like one of the games I most am interested in playing. I just think I'm going to love it based on everything I know about it. And generally impressed by Michael Kiesling's designs. Interestingly, too, after playing talking so highly of Palaces of Carrara and both of us really enjoying that game, a few people have come in and said, well, you guys have to play Heaven and Ale. Because if you love Palace of Carrara, you're just going to love that. So same for me. Uh, then on the other side of the duo, we have Wolfgang Kramer. So Kramer, you, I, I think interestingly, Wolfgang Kramer is the more experienced designer. It might be silly to say that Michael Kiesling to sort of compare because he's been designing games for a very long time too. Uh, but Wolfgang Kramer started first. He was published first and came to the partnership sort of looking up to Wolfgang Kramer and wanting his advice. And then that kind of led them down the path of co-designs, which I think is really cool. I learned that in an interview that's in the show notes, which I always share with our patrons. Uh, so if you're curious, that's there. But Wolfgang Kramer designed El Grande, an amazing game that he did not design with Michael Kiesling, but with Richard Ulrich that came out in 1995. He also did The Princes of Florence, also with Richard Ulrich. That's a 2000 design that's held up as sort of a classic old school Euro that I'd love to try. Then another game that I really wanted to mention is Coliseum, a 2007 design from Days of Wonder that is by Wolfgang Kramer and has this really cool menu system where you're collecting tiles and trying to put on different types of shows based on the tiles that you collect and an interesting sort of movement system for this emperor that goes around a track in the center. Very unique game that's kind of stuck with me following a single play of it. That one, Coliseum, he designed with Marcus Lubeck. And then Wolfgang Kramer also did Six Nymphed, which I felt like I had to mention. And then Maybe, Jake, you can go into the notable games that Wolfgang Kramer and uh, Michael Kiesling have done together. Yeah, I just want to say, too, Coliseum is one of the games that I've been aware of since joining the hobby. I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but so far it's sort of eluded me. I think it can be like a difficult one to track down these days, unfortunately. But 
it's one I'm definitely dying to try. Um, so speaking of the notable games together, they did the Mask Trilogy. Tikal, Java, and Mexica being those three games. I haven't played any of them. Have you? I have not. These games are really famous for introducing an action point system uh, where you have a bunch of actions and then you just get to take, uh, make your decisions within the number of actions that you have. So people are really drawn to it for that. And Tikal won the Spill the Yards in 1999. High praise. Yep. They also, of course, did Palaces of Carrara together, as we discussed in episode 51. That's a great episode. Highly recommend people go back and listen to that discussion if they like what they're hearing here. But also if you're just uh, generally interested in these legendary designer output. And then finally, Cole Barons. And I think Savannah Park is one they've done together as well. Yeah, absolutely. This was just a short list of notable mm-hmm. games. Yeah, yeah, Savannah Park in there too. And I have mentioned Savannah Park on this podcast before. And it, it, it might be like my favorite, like super light family gateway game at this point. Yeah. I don't know that it's better than something like Azul, but I've played a lot less. It's newer and fresher. And I think it really fits super well into like, introducing people to board games for the first time type of vibe it also has a pretty novel mechanism that is at the core of that game which i think is an interesting point and maybe can help us pivot into i definitely went back you know whenever we cover designers multiple times on the show i want to go back and sort of look through potential interviews that they've done and see what we can pull in and i found some interesting stuff that i've posted in the show notes i'm not going to read a ton of them but there was this sort of instance where uh in one of them where wolfgang kramer laid out what he thinks are the maxims of his game design. And there's sort of seven bullet points that jump out. So I want to read those and then maybe they'll come back up in the conversation. But I'll start, I'm going to go reverse order of how I listed them because the number one that jumped out to me is they all have at least one new mechanism. That certainly seems true of Savannah Park and definitely seems true of Renature to me. And I think as part of the reason that I feel so drawn to Michael Kiesling and Wolfgang Kramer's games usually is because they're clearly designed by master designers, but they also have such a, they're so attuned to doing something fresh that feels different. Listing them out quickly beyond that, uh, those maxims from Kramer are, they're all constructive and not aggressive. Just another way of him maybe saying, I make Euro games. (laughs) Uh, Most of them are very different. Kind of that same idea. They're all exciting and they arise all types of emotions. That's absolutely true of Renature. There's some high highs and some, low lows as jake stabs the knife deep into your back um he says they're all unit which i think is mostly a translation of sort of like a harmonious feel this idea that the theme the t- the illustrations the game systems the mechanisms are harmonious with one another they all have their own atmosphere and own charisma and they're all developed and tested carefully that's like classic design stuff less interesting yeah. some of those feel pretty standard, standard right yeah they're different games great um <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I do, I do think like the the constructive and not aggressive is interesting. That seems clear. And then the new mechanisms as well. I think it's always hard to when someone always wants to claim that what they're doing is novel, especially game designers, I think. Yeah. And I don't know that it's always best to take an artist's word about their own work. But in this case, I felt like I wanted to highlight it just because to some extent it feels true. And I think partially the appeal of Renature for me is it feels novel the domino system to lay out these animal tiles and the way that it all kind of comes together feels pretty fresh it does feel fresh um i think an interesting thing about these maxims is like the conspicuous absence of the word fun you know (laughs) right like i think a lot of designers are like 
trying to design for fun first. Yeah. Where it seems like maybe more designing for excitement first, which is like if if you took that as your premise, you're going to end up at like a different and unique place. And I, I think that might kind of play into the weirdness in Renature, where I think it doesn't feel like a game with smooth edges, right? And and I think a lot of times the games that do have those like rough edges, interesting different rules are lead are are what lead to sort of like exciting tension in games. And it certainly leads to memorable moments. The one other interesting piece before we get into our official deep dive that I wanted to note on the show, Jake, was that I'm curious if you if you knew this, but it's it's claimed that Wolfgang Kramer's Heimlich & Co., a game he designed and was published in the 80s, was the very first game to use a victory point track going around the outside of the board. That's pretty interesting. No, Decisions I, based I did trivia. not know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who do you think I am? Of course I don't know that. <laughs> yeah, so that's cool. Heimlich that is cool. Co from uh, Wolfgang Kramer. I mean, talk about a legacy imprint on the hobby. Yeah, right. for sure. Well, Brendan, let's jump into your rules overview to give people a little bit of a better idea about how to play Renature, and then we'll meet back on the other side to do our decision space deep dive. Renature is a tile-laying area majority game in which players jockey for control of areas by playing a limited set of plant tokens adjacent to a domino that they play at the start of their turn. The primary components in Renature are a shared board that depicts stream spaces where dominoes are placed and ground areas where players plant their plant tokens and jockey for those area majorities. Plant tokens come in two colors for each player, a personal player color and a neutral color. Animal domino tiles depict two animals on each type from a pool of 10 potential animals in the spaces that would normally show pips on a regular domino. For example, one domino might show a butterfly and a badger, while another might show a frog and a squirrel, and yet another might show two woodpeckers. The board in Renature is set up such that players begin at the headwaters at the top of the board and slowly play downwards towards the bottom where the planting spaces and scoring opportunities from area of majorities are far greater. Each turn, players select one of the three dominoes from their hand and play it to the board adjacent to an already placed domino where it matches any adjacent dominoes. One animal type is also considered wild. These animals can be placed next to any dominoes. Players have some control over what type of animal is wild at any given time in the game, but more on that later. After placing the domino at the start of their turn, they may also place a plant adjacent to their domino in one of the open ground spaces around their domino if there is an open ground space. If they do, that player will score points for each plant already in that space of equal or lesser value. Plants range in value from one to four, with one value plants, turf, grass being the most common and four value plants, oaks, being quite rare. After scoring points for placing plants, players check if one of the adjacent ground spaces has been totally crossed off such that no more dominoes could be played around it. If so, the player who placed the final domino scores a few points based on the token in that area and then an area majority check occurs for that space. Then the player with the most value plants in that area gets points equal to the higher value depicted on the token that started in it. However, there's a very important point, which is that 
In Renature, there's a tiebreaker rule that says that any tied colors in terms of plant value are treated as not being present, and neutral colors are included in these checks. This leads to situations where one player might have five value of plants in an area, and another player might have a one value grass token, and then there might also be a neutral color in that area that has five value of plants. So if that area was scored, because of the tiebreaker rules, the player with a single value token would be treated as being in first place with the neutral color player and the player with five value, if both those add up to five, getting nothing because they're tied, so they're treated as not being present. Play continues until all dominoes have been played or discarded, and this will mostly fill the board and allow players room to compete for the 17 different ground areas depicted on the board. Players begin each game with six cloud tokens, and players may use these tokens to change the wild animal type, retrieve a plant in their own color or neutral color from anywhere on the board, or to take another turn immediately. Most of these actions cost two or three tokens, so these highly impactful turns need to be well-timed for maximal impact. Once all the dom dominoes have been placed, any areas still not completely locked off by dominoes are scored for majorities. Then players lose one point for each value of plant they have remaining unplayed on their personal board. They gain one point for each unspent cloud token they have, and they add the value of any sun tokens they receive for closing off areas, at which point the player with the most points is crowned the victor. Thank you, Brendan, as always, for taking the time to record that rules overview. Hopefully that gives you some context to what we'll be talking about in the rest of this episode, which is, of course, the decisions in the game. And like we often do, Brendan, what do you think we get started by trying to characterize the decision space? Okay, from my view, Renature is a waning decision space game because of the limited nature of scoring opportunities on the board and the way that tiles fill out from the top to the bottom. Much of your turn kind of makes the game and its decisions feel dynamic based on the decisions you're allowed to take uh, because what animals are shown on whatever dominoes you have really shifts how many options you might have on a given turn. But so much of the overall, overall arc is trying to get those uh, pieces off your board, uh, your plant pieces, Every one of those represents a scoring opportunity, and when they're gone, they're gone for the most part. You can get a, you can get a couple back, but it's pretty expensive. So when they're gone, they're gone. And then you're also carefully managing your cloud tokens, which when they're gone, they're gone. And then also the other thing that makes it feel waning is every area that you can score those sort of dirt areas within the board when they're filled up, uh, when they're completely surrounded or locked off from having added tiles come around them, depending on the shape. Uh, that opportunity is gone too. So there's this real sense of tension around and, and timing around the decision space and where you can play to that really locks down. But it is juxtaposed with the fact that all the scoring opportunities at the start of the game are rather small and grow to potentially be significantly larger. So it's a sort of waning decision space game with hugely impactful potential turns locked away at the end of the game. Yeah, I think I agree with everything you said. To me, clearly, the the when we talk about sort of like what is the spiritual essence of this game, it's yeah. waning, right? Yeah. Like that is sort of the core. Um, I think the the flower powers that you have clouds, 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 clouds they look like flowers though. They do look a little bit like flowers. They are yeah. clouds. Anyway, the cloud powers that you have that enables you to break from the 
decision-based shape of the game. Yeah. Right? So you can use that to have a a turn that waxes, right? Where like you can, you know, change what is wild and now all of a sudden it explodes your possibility uh space for that given turn compared to what you were doing before, but then you're sort of, you know, back to waning again from that point. Uh it also enables you to take a whole extra turn if you want to, you know, creating like a tremendous, uh, you know, dynamic moment in the game. That's very fun and exciting. Um but I think that is like the exception to the rule of the game, which is a waning decision space. You know, in thinking about this game, we always try to talk about the feel of games and how it feels to make decisions here. And, or maybe be at the opposite side of the table of a decision being made also. And I think Renature is a perfect game to talk about that some because I love this game. And a huge part of that is not because of its theme, which is nice and a little bit pleasant, or its presentation, which is unique but maybe not beautiful it's like passably fine do you want to comment on that jake before we move past it i like i think on the table this game looks really good yeah um i i think it's like an aesthetic that sort of appeals to me sort of like a nice little flower point tracker going around the outside you've got wooden uh big chunky wooden dominoes and pieces so i i I think it's an impressive on the table it's also like shockingly large yeah too i always think about like the i think it was the shut up and sit down comment that like the best game boards are the ones that are either like a little too small or a little too big yeah and this one feels a little too big because it really is a nice two-player game experience that you can sort of play in 40 minutes or something but then you are like sitting over this like massive table that like board that takes up like your whole table. And it kind of like gives it just like a fun, a fun vibe. Totally. I think that this game looks really novel. When Mm -hmm. I see this game, it's sort of like, Oh, all these pieces are coming together in a really different way. And I want to know what that game is and how it plays. But I will say Maya coming at the game, my wife who I talk about frequently on the show, when I showed her this game, she was like, that's ugly. (laughs) And I think that part of that is this, interesting mix of colors you have these like yellow player pieces and bright blue player pieces mixed with these natural domino tiles i think it's a a nice looking game yeah but i don't know that it's beautiful but it's enticing it's it's cool welcome welcome to the future of color accessibility in board games (laughs) where you're always gonna have white black blue and orange or whatever totally (laughs) i think that oh shoot oh we were talking about the feel of the decision space we we got a little waylaid one thing i love about this game is the list of things that I feel in this when I make when I play this game is really broad. You feel smart, you feel creative, you feel dumb, you feel anxious, you feel excited, you feel empowered. You can feel really weak and sort of put down by your opponents. There's this huge. I, sorry, go for it, Jake. I was going to say disempowered a disempowered lot of the time. Too. Drew, like yeah. I, I just don't have the tiles I need in my hand. Yeah. Right, the, these yep. domino animals like i can do nothing with them i think a huge part of that too is just that you have a lot of agency in this game you mentioned the cloud system which i think we're going to dedicate a whole section of the podcast of talking about because it's so important to this game uh that does a huge amount of work in sort of making you feel empowered and giving you really rich tools to engage with the game uh and then also one awesome thing about the feel of this game is it's Every turn's kind of a puzzle to solve, but because you're limited by the tiles that you have and where you can play based on the tiles that are already on the board, you can never take that long. 
Like you're never yeah. going to get paralyzed for that long. You're going to find the move. The search as you're looking through the board can take, I don't know, you could spend two, three, four, five minutes, but you'll find, you'll find a good move. I want to draw like a point of comparison to the year of the dragon episode we just mm. did recently, which in that game, right? It, it makes, I feel like that game makes players feel dumb and stressed out because you can see so far ahead. Yeah. In Renature, you can't see ahead at all. <laughs> like, yeah. because you don't know what tiles you're going to have in your hand. You don't know uh, what your opponents are going to have. And like in a three or especially a four player game, like the board is so different by the time it gets back to you that any forward planning is, is, is a little bit silly except for like planning to like not create opportunities for your opponent. And I think that's something that some people are going to hear and say like, oh, I don't like that. I think that can often create like bad AP, but because you're always limited to just three tiles in your hand, like you're saying, even if you're starting fresh, generally the search goes very fast. Like usually it's quite clear what would be good. Um, and even at towards the end when things can slow down a bit, it you're still so limited in your total number of different options that it's pretty easy to see what they are and then tick them off. Um, but I think the nice thing about that, something I really enjoy about it, is like it takes pressure off of players in a fun way because you might make a play that you're just like this sucks there'd be a much better play out here if i had the right tiles but i don't have it so this is all i can do so that's what i'm gonna do and i can feel like okay about that in a way where other games are really asking you to like always do the best most impactful thing on the board this one doesn't ask that of you and you're playing enough that you never from my experience your luck never feels all that impactful it, and maybe it is, and it's just hard to perceive it because it's masked by the fact that you're making the decisions around these tiles and it's hard to remember every single tile you were dealt throughout the course of the game. So you just don't intellectually experience it in the way you might in other games. But I don't think that's the case. I think you make enough decisions in this game that the luck of what tiles you might get at what point in the game combined with the cloud system that gives you so much agency, though in a limited quantity, like you, you, ha- you get to as jake said completely break the game they're cheats that you get to do at least two times in the game maybe more maybe less um in a way that you just you yeah the luck seems to of what tiles you might draw and what tiles your opponents have kind of fades to the background and what you get is something that feels incredibly skill testing very cutthroat realistically because some of the rules around ties and stuff but in a way that doesn't feel too personal usually because of your limited ability to go where you might want to go. You can't targetedly attack someone because you just have the dominoes that you have and you can play them where you can play them. Yeah. I mean, I think you can a little bit. Like, definitely, it's a consideration, especially in four-player games we're playing online where it's like, oh... I need to force a tie on Jake. Yeah, like, William is running away with this game. Yeah. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and, like, force a tie with blue instead of with white player, yeah. if, if possible. Like, that, that is definitely there. And it does feel bad, you know, when somebody's blocks you or whatever. But I think, you know, I think that's just like core to the experience. Yeah. The, uh, the other thing I want to say around like the feel of the game, I think this comes out most in a two player game is I really get the sense of abstract strategy mm-hmm. game. Like I yeah. think this kind of clearly fits in there. You know, it feels chess like, I think, yeah. and especially in the way the strategy goes in the two player game where it's so much about taking turns that like advance your the game state like advance your point total but don't open up opportunities for your opponent 
to me, that calculation is very chess-like, but in a much more accessible to hobby board gamers type of way. I think you get all the benefits of feeling like a mastermind that you could get from playing chess without any of the downsides of having to (laughs) memorize smart (laughs) and memorize so many of the openings and understand the implications of yeah, like understand how to read machine learning or you know, you know what I mean? Understand how to read the book. I do think one of the downsides here, though, in this game is early on in your first play or something. Uh, yeah. This is one of the main reasons where it like got docked from a 10 for me is like, I think if you're teaching this to somebody new, their first few turns of the game, or maybe even a halfway into the game, it's, it can just feel really like, why would I do anything? <laughs> yeah. Is this a good move? Is this a bad move? I have no idea. Like I'm just doing things and, mm. and seeing what happens yeah. um, for that reason it's almost like this is a great entry game but i think it's a little bit too strange and kind of like opaque to get into to really fill that kind of a slot it's definitely not the kind of game that you're gonna feel like you've experienced after one play to really get to the heart of the decisions this is a game that is going to open up on the third or fourth or fifth play for you because It's so much of the the resource management and the flow of how tiles move throughout this board really does impact your decisions and your ability to make calculated risks or to to make conservative moves. You you have to understand what might happen in the future. And I think to the game's credit, one of the things that I thought I would dislike about this game, Jake, is the static board. So this game, the the board is just always the same. It's not variably seated with much. I guess potentially the amount of points on the back of some of the tiles in the areas that you're trying to gain majorities on, uh, which doesn't impact your decisions because it's just hidden variable point scoring. Um, But the more you play based on how the tiles come out and because the tiles so much impact what you can do, every play really does feel differently. You know, you don't have this situation of, oh, every game you need to rush towards the bottom really large area that scores 13 points for the person who controls it and try to control it. The games don't feel rote because the way that the tiles come out so much drive the decisions that you can make. It always feels variable. So the static board really works for me. And yeah, it works for me too. I think there's something definitely to be said. It's great that we have all this variability in this game, but like you're the designer, like curate the best experience Mm. for me. That's how I feel a lot at restaurants or whatever, when restaurants give me like too many options. Like, how do you want that? Like, what do you want as the side? Like, it's like, you know what? Just like, give me what's the best way to have it. Yeah. You know, you're the expert. Actually, I feel the same way when I go to get a haircut and they ask me questions about like how I want my hairstyle. Like, I'm paying you. Okay. (laughs) Give me a nice look. Yeah, Yeah. totally. (laughs) I think too, Jake, in this game, one of the things about the way that the dominoes work, I think that mathematically they were forced into this board shape because I, to some extent, I think that the way that they tile out the space, it might be difficult to produce a lot of different types of boards is my guess. I haven't actually gone in and tried to do it, but I think that there's a lot of math happening under the hood and mm-hmm. the way that the tiling can come out such that this has to work. And I think that's part of the reason why then in the design, if you play at two players, you play on this board. If you play at three players, you play on this board. And you play at four, you play on this board. That's what works for the dominoes. And that brings in an interesting new system, right? If we always have to play on the same size board, that presents a problem, right? Oh, if we're playing at two players and we play at four players, 
there need to be roughly the same amount of pieces for players to interact with. So then they go in and they solve that problem by adding neutral colors and different numbers uh, at each player count. And then because the neutral colors, you have more of those when you're playing at two player than when you're playing at four player, but that helps give the board a persistent way in which it's filled. And when you add those neutral colors to design, kind of, I'm kind of tracing the design history as I feel mm-hmm. like I could sort of see it. And then when you add those neutral colors, then it's sort of like, well, what, what am I going to do with these and how do those play into the other steps? And I think that this is an instance re-nature of the restrictions around the way the domino design and the board worked probably led to these neutral plant system, which actually is what makes the game really pop and makes it as exciting as it is. And I don't know that they would have gotten to that neutral plant system if they maybe didn't feel stuck with just having one board shape that they had to play with. And I think that that's a really cool way that this game might have come to be. And if I had the chance to ask Kramer and Kiesling, I would definitely ask that question because I think I really strongly suspect that's sort of the design trajectory of this game. No, I think I I can definitely see it, as, yeah. as you said. I, th- I think we've been talking a little bit about the kind of novel domino system a bit here, um, but maybe we can get into that like a little <laughs> bit more. Yeah. Um, my question for you, Brendan, is... Is the domino matching game we're playing here mechanical artifice? <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> I think yes, it is. Because yeah, it is, but it's mechanical artifice because what I'm ultimately trying to do is I'm trying to control areas and close off areas and place plants into areas to score points. Those are the primary ways I'm scoring points, and to do that, I have to go through this system of placing dominoes. The game gives us ways to have that system kind of bleed away some by allowing a wild suit based on the animal. But for the most part, yeah, this is a game driven by mechanical artifice. Yeah, I think so too. I was talking to Paul Solomon about, you know, how much I was liking this game. He's like, yeah, I played it once. It's like pretty fun game. And then it has like the weird domino matching thing sort of on top of it. Mm. And I, and I think that's interesting way of looking at, I can kind of see that that kind of clued me in to the fact that like this is sort of like mechanical artifice the whole game would work without that if you just had blank dominoes or whatever uh, that you could just put down anywhere you could still like play the game but i think it would be far far less interesting you know and and also that would sort of eliminate the you're talking about the fact that the board does develop and grow organically that's mm-hmm. like necessitated by the matching and that eliminates sort of the like standard openings or whatever that you might otherwise get in this type of abstract yeah we were also Jake, kind of talking about the clarity of the decision space which you were saying is pretty low and i totally agree with and i think that the domino system does a really good job of creating situations where there's player privileged hidden information that's dynamic right so if I look at the board and there's a space where I know only the frog and frog can go and I'm holding the frog and frog, I feel pretty safe not filling in that space for X number of turns, but you might be able to switch it to a wild and play a double domino of something else or something to that extent. There's always exceptions, but I, I find some of the, the most interesting decisions that I get faced with in this game are the product of those tiles and the way they, they arrange. So if I'm holding the double frog and two frogs, that changes how I'm approaching playing in a really interesting and fun way uh, that you might have no ability to know Mm -hmm. that those are in my hand. And it changes the way that you're reacting to my play as well. So I I really like this system. It kind of takes a minute to like wrap your head around it a little bit, um, but it's great. 
Yeah, it is. And I'm struggling to say it's like super low clarity. I think it feels really low in your initial play, yeah. but it quickly becomes a lot more clear. But at, it's, it's just tough because like on your turn, it's either going to be like, oh, I have some good things I can do or like I have no really clue like what of these things is profitable to me. That's almost like a 50-50 proposition. I still don't have any clue what I'm supposed to be doing in my first turn of the game. Mm. Maybe we should talk about that because on the first turn, you can play anything into like a few different starting yep. areas and all, all of way. those touch uh, area of that of like a brown area where you're playing the plants in and scoring of two spaces yep. so no matter what you put into that space the next person could put something that blocks you right like a neutral tile that like counters you and then they're getting double the points you've got one for placing in there now they're getting two for placing in there so that's a lot more efficient use of the tiles and they could do that no matter what you put in that space so should you put anything at all but not putting anything at all is really going to limit your options later in the game because you have exactly two more tiles than you have plants to place. And all the plants that you don't place are negative points at the end of the game. So that means there's only two turns in the game that you can not place a plant yep. and not take negatives at the end. But it's actually less than that if you take the very powerful action of pulling back a plant. So it feels like I should play something in the first turn but then every time i do it seems bad <laughs> totally no i suffer from this as well and then the next level heuristic is oh maybe i should just play a neutral color here like a neutral one but then you've used one of your neutral color tiles to just score one point for placing it down not committing to winning that space unless you get to just go again play on it and maybe play the two but then maybe you've hurt yourself yeah. I think that there's a lot of quandaries in this game. I think that speaks to like why it's sometimes the decision space is really not clear at all. But then other times, oh, I can block, I can complete this space and put something in there that gives me the majority. Yeah. You know, it's almost all or nothing. It's either like a slam dunk, you know, a jackpot or it's what I don't understand. <laughs> and one thing that sort of saves the game, I think is, and it's so brilliant about it, is the fact that those early decisions where you are so much less sure of the potential outcome happen at the beginning of the game and they're the least impactful. And at the end of the game, when there's even more points to be had, there's a lot more clarity about, around what your opponents might do because a lot more of the tiles are out on the board and you can see what plants your opponents have played or not. And I just think that that's a, a great way of leaving players with a strong impression and making them feel like they had agency in the experience. And ultimately, those early spots can be impactful but usually one or two points isn't going to swing the game too much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting problem where you kind of, you'd rather have your first turn be pass. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be the first person to go. Yeah. Yeah. Never. <laughs> do you think we covered the domino system, Jake? Or do you have any, any closing thoughts? I think we really did cover it pretty exhaustively. I think the key takeaway with it is it's basically the only restriction in the game yeah everything else is pushing against that restriction you know you can put any plant down you want for free you know into any space you put it so this is the main thing that's like restricting you and it it, it does feel at times oppressive but then that that kind of makes it fun to find ways that you break out and like defy that and haha game you can't stop me from doing what i want to do the only thing i'll say is i do really love on closing with the the domino system is that i do really love that you have a hand of th three tiles. Um, you know, 
there's there's little hints of Carcassonne in this game for me. Part of that comes with the search of looking through the board and just seeing where I can go. Part of that comes from the search of looking where I can go and finding the best move. Um, and then it also comes from the fact that it's at its heart a tile laying game. That is how you interact with the game. But I love that you have three three dominoes to choose from because you can manage that handsome. You know, one thing I like to try to do in this game is try to build up where I have three at least three tiles showing the same type of animal because if I do that then I know if I spend to make that animal wild it's more likely that I have more wilds in my hand than other people of that animal type than other players do because when you change the wild animal type you change it for everyone so that adds this fun little overlaid puzzle of building up and managing your hand and and waiting for the right time to switch what the wild animal is such that your opponents won't benefit from you doing that and won't be able to leech off you spending these really valuable cloud tokens that you need to switch that suit. And then you're, you're free. You can just run. You can place your tiles wherever you want for the most part. And that feels great. Maybe we should talk a little bit more about the scoring because yeah. I think for me, like it almost reminds me of like a Kinesia game in that the scoring is the game. Yeah. Yep, it all revolves revolves around that. Let's dial out all the scoring opportunities just again. I think in the rules overview, I covered it, but I want to be sure to do it here. So there's really five ways that you're scoring points or losing points in this game. The first thing is you're going to gain points for having area majority with your plants in these uh, sort of brown ground spaces where players can plant plants. So if you have the most value in those spaces, at the end of the game or when they're closed off, you're going to score points. Then you also get points for closing off areas, just completely surrounding them with dominoes. Uh, you get less points for that, but I think an impactful number of points. It's something you're trying to do. You also get points for planting plants. You have four denominations of plants and you always gain points equal to the number of plants already in the space where you're planting them or less. So if I take my three tree, uh, my three value tree, which I only have two of in most of the time, and I place that and there's five pieces of three or lower value, I'll gain five points. So planting can be a really rewarding way to get points in the later game. You also get plus one points for clouds left tokens left over at the end of the game. Usually you're better off spending those, but you get a little bit of a kickback if you don't. Uh, And then you also lose points equal to the value of plants left on your board. So if you have a the biggest tree in the game, the four tree, and that's left on your board, you lose four points for that. So there, it's really Kramer and Kiesling saying, play your pieces, yeah. interact with the game. Yeah, that's, But that can hurt you. That's an interesting one because like, it's not really something that you can mess up if you're like yeah. in playing, right? As long as you're like aware of that. So, But it is interesting that they felt the need to add that. You know, that, that feels like something that was a result of testing or something to like... I wonder if one of the optimal moves with the cloud system, because you can pick up pieces from anywhere on the board. So you can spend clouds equal to the value of a token type uh, of a plant and pull it off the board. And I wonder, Jake, if if this rule wasn't in place, if an optimal move might be to wait until really late in the game and then pull up the neutral four or neutral three trees uh, to really create a swing. Uh, prevent you from losing a bunch of points so it's a, it's a way to balance that out because if it's sitting on my board at the end of the game i lose four points yeah also a lot of times it doesn't feel good being the first person to play into a space because then you've given up the information on like how much it's gonna cost to like counter you right like anytime you play one of your pieces into 
an area and somebody plays a neutral piece of the same amount into that area, it doesn't feel great, you know? Yeah. Like I said, in, in that starting player example, they've used the same amount of pieces of as you and they got more points from placing than you did. Yeah. Without that, you, I could almost envision mm. sort of like a games of chicken that start real slow with like nobody wanting to, to put anything down at the start. Yeah, you just leave them on your board. Right. Yeah, totally. So that makes sense. But I think the the big thrust of this game, what really makes it sing, is the way the area majority scores, which is, as you, know, as you said in the rules overview, any tied factions, whether that's two different players or a player in the neutral faction, you treat them as if they are not present in the area, which means that if there's a third person with one measly grass in there, they get not just the first place points, but the first place and the second place points. And that is so tremendously impactful in scoring that it changes the game into a game of manipulating that so that you can create those situations for yourself above all else. This is the rule that makes it such that when people say, oh, Renature, that's a mean game. This is why. <laughs> yeah. Because... You might invest and have eight value in an area. You've, you've gone so far. You've put three, four pieces down. And then if two of your opponents put down their four tree neutral tiles, all of a sudden, for the sake of majority scoring, it's as if you have nothing there. And it's so devastating, but it breathes so much life into the game. This is where that excitement, the high highs and the lows lows come from. And it's this rule makes the game yeah you know that episode we did on rules that make the game this is, this a, is a great example game. yeah it makes the game and it's also supremely wonky and weird i think right like it's just not something that's really intuitive to yeah understand i've had a hard time teaching this rule for whatever reason even mm. with examples um yeah. and then halfway into the game somebody's not understanding right and like doing a play that doesn't work out the way they wanted because of not being able to internalize this i don't know why it doesn't se seem that hard but i think it just has to do with like the fact that often it's interacting with a neutral faction tile too um yeah and just like that's kind of weird also so i think it, it makes game and also it makes it, it not a family game in in a way that it ever so closely is yeah absolutely i think the dominoes really push it towards wanting to be a family game yeah it reminds me of playing domino games with my grandma growing up but then this one rule i totally agree kind of kicks it back to being much more gamery because this is a it's this a, and the cloud power and the cloud system yeah yeah but this is like, oh, we're like, playing like Magic the Gathering. We got some powers around here. Like, yeah. what's going on? <laughs> Resources to manage. Yeah. yeah, totally. I think, though, that this system, one thing that I love about it. So it's you can't divorce the tiebreaker rule from the neutral plants because so often when this rule is relevant, it's because of the neutral plants. You're not often going to place into a tie and your opponents aren't often going to place in a way that would make you tie because you would it's not ever advantageous to tie because it treats you as not being present. So only time, the only time in the game that ties become relevant is through the neutral colors. And the cool thing about neutral colors are that all players have access to adding them to the board. So you have this sort of, at different points in the game, you might be co-contributing to forcing ties or, you you know, Jake, you might put a, a two value uh, plant into an area to score off of the three one value plants that are there. Great. I put a two value, there's three threes, I score four points, that feels like a good turn. But now you've contributed just a little bit of neutral color, 
that then maybe I can piggyback off of. So it sort of entangles our decisions in a way that otherwise we'd be playing this really separate game. And here we're playing a much more um, linked game in a way that I really like. And once you've put your neutral pieces on the board, I can pick them up yeah. if I use those cloud powers. And I, I think that's a brilliant aspect of of the game that once they're on the board, they belong to everyone and I can interact with them. And that creates these deeper textures of, oh, maybe I should have played my own color because then it's stuck there on the board forever unless I pick it up. But because I played a neutral color in this specific spot, now if Jake goes, he could pick it up and then play a tile and drop his own in there. And it just like explodes the possibility space in an exciting way. Yeah, I was kind of laughing at the Wolfgang Kramer's sort of ideas about the game (laughs) he makes at the beginning Yeah, with the games or like a unit. But with that in my head, as we've had this conversation, it really kind of fits here because the way the neutral tiles work, the way things organically build out, it really is sort of this shared ecosystem, which is, of course, Mm. the theme of the game. Yeah. You know, I think it, it, it does kind of fit in well there. But I did want to push back about, like you're saying, we'd be playing our own game. At its core, this is like a highly interactive area majority game, right? There's no multiplayer solitaire going on here. Yeah, I think that's true. But outside of this mechanism, it's one of the only ways that we'd really interact with the other pieces that it Mm -hmm. feels like players own, maybe. Mm -hmm. Like dominoes don't feel like yours. They just feel like your path to doing things that are yours. Yeah. And the neutral tokens, when they're on their board, they do feel like yours until you plant them. I see. I mean, I guess it kind of like enhances that for sure. Yeah. I also, I don't know. This game, it's just good. I just, I want to take a second and just appreciate (laughs) on the back end. Because you saying that the way in which it's harmonious and sort of playing up to that ecosystem, it really, (laughs) it really hammers it home. It does. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Should we? Okay, we've talked around it the whole game. It's obvious, or the whole episode. This is not an episode, a game, Brennan. It's an episode. Let's talk about the cloud system a little bit. Mm-hmm. This, there's a lot here. Yeah, you, I, you've. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go, you go. That was a classic, like instant pause. Yeah, since Jake wants to say something. Yeah, <laughs> I like. <laughs> I mean, the cloud system to me is really fun. It feels a little out of place, I think, for me, just because mm. like superpowers, right? That you have like a limited access to do um, which just feels a little weird for the theme of the game and everything else that's going on here (laughs) and i've joked about being like oh now we're playing magic the gathering obviously it's not mechanically similar to magic the gathering but i think in the context of like is this a game you could show to family and non-gamers it has that feel i don't know i was thinking about teaching my sister how to play rift force over holiday and she's like oh this is like Magic the Gathering-y with the powers. So I think that kind of wormed into into my head where Mm. I feel like that can be something that is going to appeal to people and can also kind of push others away from this game. And I think it's just really interesting to have those superpowers layered on top of what is otherwise an abstract strategy game. I haven't really experienced anything quite like it. Yeah, I think that that's a really fair point, Jake. But I'll also say that I think that the cloud system is really, it's, it's a, as much as the tie system, I think this is a pivotal mechanism for the game that takes what would be a really good, good family game, maybe not an exceptional family game, but a good family game and transforms it into, my opinion, an amazing game. Yeah, because this is the system that gives you the potential for creativity and depth and gives you all that uncertainty because without it, you'd end up with turns late in the game where all the dominoes of a specific animal type were out. And 
how do I change the wild system? And it also, I will say, adds this, the decisions around when to spend your clouds. It, it's so hard to judge. If you go too early, you're really exposed to the weakness of not having the ability to react to strong turns from other players. But if you go too late, the impact of spending your clouds on taking another turn or changing the wild suit or picking up a plant might be a little bit wasted. The, the game might already be won or lost. And I think that those decisions around when do I do this are really fun. And the more I play this, this is where I feel like I'm getting better at the game. Yeah. Of like, when do I spend half of my cloud points to double turn? Totally. That's cool. It yeah. is. And I think when you first play this game or when I first played it, I felt like, oh, that's cool. But like, it's so limited because you only mm. have six. You start with six. Everything costs like two or three, basically. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it costs one to return a grass sure. to your board. Uh, but no matter how you slice it, you feel like I can do like one or two things with this system over the course of the game. It felt kind of like that's cool, but not ultimately that impactful. But now playing it more, you realize those two or three things you do with this are likely going to be the thing that determine the outcome of the game. And like you said, the amount of creativity enabled by this simple system is huge. I, I think should we like go through kind of what they are? Yeah, do it, do it. All right. So you can change the wild suit from one animal to another that costs two clouds. You can pick up a plant from the board uh, and that costs clouds equal to its point value. So one to four. Uh, and interestingly, you can even pick up one of your own pieces from an area that's already been scored. So potentially you could use the same plant to score multiple different areas. That's cool and really strong. Uh, you can pay three, so half of your clouds to take another turn right away. And I mean, anybody who's played, uh, you know, or is familiar with like board games knows how like absurd taking another turn is in a game and just changing the whole tempo of everything. The, the amount that you can have like these crazy mega turns in this is huge, but the cost is so significant because you're giving up you don't. You still have the same amount of tiles, so that means you're finishing earlier than everybody else, which totally matters if other people don't take that action. And you're giving up your opportunity to like pick up and replay another one of your trees, which is huge. I think. Okay, I have three things. I'm gonna go so quickly through them. One, your Magic the Gathering points just kind of click for me because one, oh, I can time walk here and I can right. control Magic. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Also, two. The fact that why I like this system so much is I think without this system, the game falls into the abyss of analysis paralysis. But because players have so much agency, including taking another turn, good luck puzzling out what I might do on my turn, Jake, because I might get to not just take one turn, but take another. It just all of a sudden makes it like it pushes it to the point of I care what Jake might do, but I can't make my decision based solely on what he might do. Because you have so much ability to do so much that I just can't consider it all. And yeah. then my third point is you should never have three points when you're trying to make a point on a podcast. <laughs> so you always forget the third. That's a great point. Going back to your <laughs> second point, however, I you know, where it's like you want to think ahead, that is the whole game though. I think, yeah. right? Like you get points for closing off areas. So if possible, if we're playing a two-player game, I never want to leave you one tile away from closing off an area especially if then you could close off the area and play into it or and play into a different space. That's just yeah. getting too much done with one action. It, it reminds me of that box and dot game, right? That you play mm. where 
you know, you have a bunch of dots on your notebook paper in class and everybody can like draw one line. And if you close off a box, you get to draw another line. So it gets to a point where somebody just combos off and goes crazy. It's kind of like that, right? You never want to leave somebody the opportunity to complete a box on their turn if you can avoid it. But you can't really play this game and keep people away from being two tiles away from doing something (laughs) big, right? So that makes it fun. And it makes it really fun to consider on your turn okay, my opponent is playing really smart defensive gameplay. Is this the time that I use this power, break that and and do one of these uber powerful moves? Am I getting enough here or do I wait and, and do it on another point? Yeah, I do think that this is one of the perfect examples. We talked about these sort of limited high agency tokens in games, whether it's the pine cones in Cascadia that let you draft uh an unsort of linked pair. You can take whatever animal or terrain tile in that game that you'd like, or even workers in Castles of Burgundy letting you change the value of your dice. I think I would group the cloud token mechanisms in with those. It's we've kind of we gotta just like come up with a name for those mechanisms, I think, and do an episode on them because I really enjoy these mechanisms. And this to me is a standout version of that because it's that mechanism, except you start with them all at the beginning of the game. So you have complete agency over when you use them. And then you can do so much with them. It's sort of that idea turned to the extreme. Yeah. And it, it's really well executed. I think that if I tried to go back and put a mechanism like that in a game, I would look towards what this is accomplishing for Renature and try to have my mechanism accomplish something similar for a game I was designing. Yeah. I, I don't know if this is just super obvious comment, but I think what's interesting about these cloud tokens in this game or the pinecone tokens in Cascadia is that they so explicitly interact and confront the decision space of the game, right? Yeah, totally. Do you think this feels like an area majority game, Jake? Like when you sit down to play it, do you feel like, I think of something like El Grande where I have the ability to just play directly into a space and that's so different in some ways than Renature. Well, but at the same time, you have limitations in El Grande well, yeah, the too, king. the king. The king can just slide up. Yeah. I see I feel like this does air majority and it totally captures it, but it feels fresh somehow. Maybe it's just the ties or maybe it is the restriction. I don't know. Yeah, I definitely feel like this is clearly area majority to me. You know, interestingly, like the two area majority games that I really love are both <laughs> Wolf Kramer out of hand. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and generally, it's not a genre that does sing for me. So take from that what you will. But yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the thrust of this game. is, is From turn one, we're, we're fighting over these territories that are going to award points. Do you like this game more or less than the Palaces of Carrara? I need to revisit Palace of Carrara. It's just honestly been a long time yeah. since I've played that. I yeah. think I like it more. But this, yeah, like this more. I think I like this more, yeah. but I need to go back and and, pl- and play that. That was an unfair question because they're pretty different games, so it's tough yeah. to compare them. I but think I, I gave think this I, a higher score on the pod. You definitely, I think you definitely did. I think I am coming to appreciate this even more than Palaces of Carrara. And I love both these games. And I think the scoring, the way the rigidity of scoring and the, the way that you can miss time and opportunity to get a ton of points and how devastating that feels is shared between the games. And that's something I really love about them is timing is so much at the heart of these games in their own ways. Also do what's your favorite. Okay. What are your thoughts really quickly to close the episode on player counts and maybe your favorite decisions that you get to make in this Mm -hmm. game? So I've played this game at two, three and four. 
I yeah. think it's very I think it's really fun at all player counts and feels very different. Yeah. I kind of alluded to this at two player, like it really gives me the sensation of chess where I'm mm-hmm. thinking hard about not giving my opponents openings. Um at four players, it's just a lot zanier because like the board's <laughs> gonna change so much, right? Like I can play into something that doesn't give anyone an opening and then the next person plays off that and then it creates an opening for player three there's nothing i could really like do about that so it's it's just like a very different uh landscape that you're navigating it feels less of that super cutthroat tactical battle and more of like opportunistic sort of yeah strategies and tactics take the best turn on your given turn Mm -hmm. yeah exactly obviously you don't want to be the person that's leaving opening a huge move for somebody either but if the opening is open for you or not you have less agency over in the higher player count game but i really enjoyed it all all player counts and i think the other thing that adds to the hugely different feel is just the amount of like you you reference this at the beginning like you always play the same amount of dominoes and that means at a two-player game you're placing like i think it's like 23 or something or like 26 and that means you've got like 24 plants that go out on the board and then at like a four player game it's like 13 yeah each move you do in that game is going to be a lot more important and so it's just a very different feel yeah i'll I'll emphasize that i really like it at two i really like it at three and i like it at four uh no, I, I really like it at four, but I like it more at two and three. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably for me strongest at two and three, but it's a great game at any player count. It feels a little I, I like playing the dominoes. Yeah. So I miss playing the dominoes a little bit at four. What's your favorite decision, Jake? Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll lead since yeah. it'll give you time to think. So I think the double turns with the clouds are some of the most powerful turns. But for me, some of the most fun turns are where I use a turn to pull out a tile uh, excuse me pull out a plant place my tile down and then place the either the same plant of my own somewhere else to huge effect or maybe i pull a neutral tile off that jake had previously placed put my domino down and then slap one of my own tiles in the space that sort of little combo just feels really fun and it's dynamic picking up pieces moving them elsewhere on the board laying down a domino to connect them um i'll also say some of the decisions around timing when you change the wild suit can be very fun and timing it such that you can get the most value out of it, waiting for your opponent to change it and then changing it the turn after feels great. I think there's really fun decisions all over this game. I think the hand management is surprisingly fun. Like with the animals, having a double domino in your hand is kind of bad because you have less ability to put it out there, but then it has this like really, really powerful kind of naturally is balanced within the system because if you change to the wild of that suit, it's the only tile on the board that can go anywhere. So I like to play the game of trying to save back at least one double-sided domino, but trying to get other ones out of my hand. So I think there's really fun decisions we made, even without looking at the board, like which of these tiles are more important get out of your hand. It's like, oh, we haven't seen very many uh, snails. So like, I should probably like keep this back. That probably is gonna be something I'll be able to use later. That that's yeah. in here too, and then I think just the the other thing that's just fun to me is when I find like a sneaky way to close off a space, and it was really fun playing in person with four players because when I would somebody like closes off a space and it's like okay the orange player gets 
four points, the white player gets two points, and I, the blue player, will just take this little token. Thank you for doing, you know, I wasn't even a part of it. And yet, like, somehow I'm still sneaking in and getting a little bit of pointage out of it. I do love that you have the ability in the higher player games like you were talking about to, like, incidentally interact, Mm -hmm. where otherwise you wouldn't have a reason to get in there and sort of mess stuff up, as it were. But because of you just get points for closing off, sometimes you're like, oh, I'm not involved. I'll close it off. We'll score it. Bada bing, bada boom. And uh, I'll be on my way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that's just like kind of like a fun and a little bit humorous moment that comes up in this game. Yeah. Really great game. This is Renature by Wolfgang Kramer and Michael Kiesler. Yeah. My closing thought on this is I think it's become more and more clear over the past year that uh, Kramer and Kiesling, or may I say like Kramer and or Kiesling are two yeah. of my favorite designers and just I've enjoyed almost all of it, actually all of their designs that I've played. El Grande, Savannah Park, Renature have all been huge hits for me. Azul as well. So Palaces of Carrara. Palace of Carrara too. I've always said Steffenfeld is my favorite designer and I still think that's probably the case, but these guys might be sneaking up into like number two as like a joint number two. Says something also that it takes two co-designers, w- one of whom designed El Grande solo, to to maybe even get close to Seffenfeld for you. That's pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty good. Jake, I'm curious. Maybe uh, I don't. We're not going to commit to anything, but I'm super curious about Vikings, and I will say it has a wheel, kind of like Palaces of Kara. So maybe we'll take a peek at that and see if that would be of interest in the future. It's an oldie. Yeah, maybe it's a goodie. If you would be interested in more. Uh, Kramer and Kiesling coverage on the Decision Space podcast, like Vikings or something else. Like, let us know in the Discord which game that you think we should cover next from them. As always, we welcome all listeners into our Discord community, a great place to just chat about games, find people to play games with online. And you can find a link to that in the description of this podcast. If you want to be one of our pre planners who plays games ahead of time with us, that's a great place to start. Coming up uh, on a future episode, we're going to cover the decision space of Coloretto and probably Zularetto at the same time. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. No promises. Yeah, I think but, we can say that. Sure. We, yeah. Okay, great. We'll throw in Zularetto. They're pretty different games, but they're same sort system. Of system. Yeah. Yeah. One of them's yeah. awesome. One of them's kind of lame, but that's a spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> spoiler. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's been our episode for the day, but check out decision space podcast.com for more you can find uh all of our episodes there also definitely google decision space podcast board game geek if you want to find our blog there we always love when people interact with our blog posts that we do for every episode whether it's just to leave a comment to let us know you're listening throw us a thumbs up or chime in and let us know your thoughts on re nature all of that would be greatly appreciated uh, and with that we'll be back next week with another episode this time uh, a topical episode of sorts and maybe one that will delve into lots of games. We'll see. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening and take care and have a great week, everyone. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.